0: Following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, I got a notification on my phone on Wednesday from the New York Times that Billy Graham had died at the age of 99. Uh, if you don't know who Billy Graham is, it's possible that uh, you're a little, some of you are a little young maybe to know Billy Graham at the uh, height of his fame. Uh, but Billy Graham was probably the most important figure in evangelical Christianity in the 20th century. He preached to literally millions of people, untold numbers of whom dedicated their lives to Christ under his ministry and as a result of his evangelistic preaching, which happened uh, starting in, a, in an old barn and then in eventually as places as big as Wembley Stadium. These evangelistic crusades, he called them. And uh, Billy Graham used... The technology of his day, in a way that nobody had really done yet, and for for him, because of his, uh, you know, the area in which era in which he lived, that was radio first and then television. Um, he became a spiritual counselor to presidents, presidents as far apart on the political political spectrum as Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton. Right. So. All of you hate one of those guys, <laughs> right? Um, and Billy Graham counseled both of them and everybody in between. Now I watched some Billy Graham sermons on YouTube this week. And one of the things that he, he said I thought was so beautiful, and he did this, this kind of characteristic thing where he holds the Bible up over his head and he asks his audience, do you want a new heart tonight? If you want a new heart, the Holy Spirit will perform the surgery for you. I think it's just such a beautiful image. Billy Graham was uh, far from perfect, as as are we all, uh, but was a great man, and uh, many of us in the room owe our faith either directly to him or to people that owe their faith directly to him. Some of you, like I did, prayed a prayer many years ago when you were a child or a teenager maybe a young adult, Asking Jesus into your heart, confessing your sin, asking for forgiveness, and, and receiving the promises of God by faith, the promise of that new heart. That language, that, that simple way of distilling faith and calling people to conversion uh, that many of us encountered when we came to faith in Christ is a byproduct of the specific way that Billy Graham distilled this down in his preaching and so the pastor or evangelist or friend or family member who led you to Christ, if you had that kind of experience, might have, might have quoted a verse from the Bible that's very much like the first verse from today's epistle reading. Now we've been using the lectionary all year. Uh, If you don't know how to find the lectionary, you can Google it. It's the first result. It will give you four, at least four, usually it's four passages of scripture each week that you can read ahead of time before you come to worship on Sundays, and you can be prepared for what I'm going to talk about. You can be prepared for the texts that have shaped the song selection that we'll be having in worship, and I encourage you to do that. So the epistle reading, that is the the letter in the New Testament that's assigned for today, is Romans chapter 4, and... uh, The first verse of the passage that the lectionary assigns to us today uh, is is actually about Abram, who came to be known as Abraham, the person who was mentioned and and discussed um, during the children's moment, just, just not very long ago. And it says this, For the promise that Abraham would inherit the world did not come to him or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And so many of us were converted under that concept. This idea that's one of the most familiar and central truths of Christian belief, that we are not justified, we're not made righteous by our own actions, by our works, if you will, but by faith, by belief, by the conviction that what you have just heard is true. And if you believe that Christ is who he said he was. Billy Graham said you can get the heart surgery. <laughs> you can know that you'll go to heaven when you die. Is another thing that Billy Graham was po- uh, fond of saying. And you know, the next thing that he said in one of those sermons was, and I, I, won't, uh, I won't even attempt to do a Billy Graham impersonation. That would be disrespectful and, and false anyway. But he, he said, you may ask me, Billy, how long does it take? And then he goes like this. Just like that. It happens just like that, the snap of a finger. Are you frustrated, bewildered, dejected, breaking under the strains of life? Then listen for a moment to me, say yes to the Savior tonight, and in a moment you will know such comfort as you have never known. It comes to you quickly, as swiftly as I snap my fingers, just like that. And in one sense, I owe my entire faith in Jesus to that promise, that concept that God forgives you in an instant when you believe and your new life has begun. And when you read a verse, like Romans 4.23, the first verse from this passage in the lectionary, that says Abraham's promise was not given through the law but through faith, it would be easy to read that and think that it happened in the snap of a finger. But I want to look for a moment at Abram's story and see if that's actually what we find there. See, Abram's story is not just the, contained in the one passage from the lectionary that uh, Pastor Jesse used with the kids and that Carolyn read so well. Genesis 17, I don't remember the exact verses, but um, there's the story in Genesis 17, uh, and there's a, there's a little section that's... Uh, Is omitted there, which you'll all blessedly thank me for not uh, not bringing before us this morning. But Genesis 17 is not the beginning of Abram's story. Bible nerds, what chapter in Genesis does Abram's story actually begin? That's right, chapter 12. I heard. (laughs) Do you know how much can happen in five chapters in the Book of Genesis? (laughs) A lot, so much. (laughs) Here's what happened to Abram in those those chapters from when he first received the call in Genesis 12. He he experienced a famine, a trip to Egypt where he had uh, some very interesting uh, correspondence, you might say, with the Pharaoh and his wife. Family strife with his nephew, Lot. Uh, An attempt to, how to say this delicately, an attempt to make the promise come true with a different mother than his wife for the child that he'd been promised. And through it all, in in practically every paragraph of that story, you see Abram and Sarai drifting far from the promise and then a reiteration of the promise, a, a restatement of it. And with each... Restatement of the, prof- the, the, of the promise. There's like a, a new little uh, piece of convincing symbolism. It's really kind of an amazing story. You can read it through. But no fulfillment of the promise. Just reiterations, just restatements, just keep trusting. And the problem that I have identified <laughs> Uh, for me at least, with the crusade model of of evangelism and the crusade understanding of Christian faith and belief is that it can be too easy for us to mistake the initiation of new life with the whole entirety of salvation. When in fact the finger snap of forgiveness is just the first second of a new life that may last for another 10, 20, 30, 50 Eighty years! How many of you know somebody who received Christ at age five and lived into their 80s? So maybe we could put some nuance on the language a little bit. And if we say that Abraham and his descendants, which we Christians, even though we're not Jewish, most of us by, uh, by ancestry are grafted into that, um, that family. Abraham and descendants received God's mercy, received salvation not from their works, not from the law, but from faith. If we were to nuance that slightly and say faithfulness, I think that might help us grasp some important concepts. That, that might help us uh, feel some strength for a uh, draining and difficult spiritual journey. I happen to know And that some of you are feeling very tired in your faith. I happen to know that some of you sensed at some point in your past that you had received a promise much like Abram received. But you haven't yet seen Sarah's belly beginning to swell, if you will. You've received the promise but you have not yet gotten evidence of its fulfillment in your life. Maybe you've walked through your own Egypt. Maybe you've experienced your own famine. Maybe you've taken matters into your own hands and found that fruitless. What was God's promise to you that you have felt unfulfilled? Did you know that... <laughs> When you signed up for it, it might take a lifetime to see it come to fruition. Are you ready for that kind of faith? I happen to know some of you are ready to give up. You're not even sure why you came here today. Maybe it was to hear this. What if today is the day that your trust in God is restored, that your faith matures into faithfulness? What if today is the day that you come to realize that someone might have told you it was easy as snapping your fingers and now you're realizing it's actually a long journey through famine, family strife, strange lands, false starts, missteps, and doubt? Are you okay with that? I hope that you will take heart. Because despite what it might sound like, this is truly good news. The idea that you can be battered and bloodied and still continue on in grace is good news. The idea that you can, if you'll allow me to borrow from Tolstoy, stumble drunkenly along the road back to your house and still arrive at home in time for mourning, that is good news. The idea that your unimpressive, underperforming experience is not a sign of failure, but is actually the expected way of faith that's modeled all throughout Scripture by practically everybody who embraces it. That is really good news. you may feel that your faith is too feeble. That your little tiny seed, your little grain of belief couldn't possibly be enough to save you, couldn't possibly be what the apostle's talking about when he says we're saved not by the law but by our faith. But hear me, that belief is just another version of the law And what does Paul say of the law later in this passage in Romans? He says the law brings wrath. It's possible that you might have turned your understanding of faith into a new law. And defined it in such a way that it becomes a new work. That if you can't muster belief today... You have failed and your faith is null. And God's promise is not for you after all. But take heart, be hopeful, be faithful. Because the, the reason I love the nuance of this language, you can actually be faithful when you don't feel full of faith. Here's what Paul says about Abram. Hoping against hope, have you ever felt that feeling, hoping against hope? He believed that he would become the father of many nations according to what was said. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith, and here again we might say his faithfulness, was reckoned to him as righteousness. And here's the real deep truth. Ultimately, it's God's faithfulness that saves us. Because no matter how much it may seem impossible, God's promise will not be empty in the end, regardless of how good a job you do living up to it. And you may say, Well, I'm not actually Jewish, so the Abraham story doesn't quite apply to me. Well, let me give you a story that might apply to you if you come from a Christian perspective it's Jesus. Jesus had this same type of experience. Jesus himself. Only through literal blood, sweat, and tears did Jesus accomplish the work that God set before him. And he knew that's what was coming, and he told his disciples to be ready for it. And do you know what Peter said to him? Peter took him aside. Can you imagine the gall of taking Jesus aside? Have you ever taken somebody aside like, hey, slow down there, chief? come on, I'm not sure you're thinking through what you're saying. And Jesus said, you are the devil. And then he turned back to everybody else and said, if any of you want to follow me, you have to carry a little tiny mustard seed of faith. No, that comes somewhere else. He said, if any of you want to follow me, take up your own cross. And though the decision To take up your cross happens in an instant. The living out of that decision, you can expect it to take the rest of your life. Here's something else that may reassure you. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, This is very, very alarming something that I know many of you have said because you've sat on the couch in my study and said some version of this. Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself. Did you know he didn't just pull that phrase out of thin air? Did you know that Jesus, when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was quoting one of the Psalms. Did you know it's the psalm that the lectionary assigned to us today? Psalm 22. This was perhaps the most beautiful thing Jesus ever said. I think so. Because it gives all of us who have started to journey in faith and then found ourselves lost and in even more wilderness than we left home, it gives those of us who've had that experience the reassurance that our occasional sense that God is absent from us, that very sense was felt by Jesus himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You may have been told it's wrong to ask that kind of question, but it can't be wrong to ask that kind of question because Jesus asked it on the cross. Do you know what makes it even more beautiful? Jesus knew how Psalm 22 ends. Do you know how Psalm 22 ends? I do. We read it at the call to worship this morning. And I, I think Jesus might have known that the people around him knew how Psalm 22 ended. This is how it ends. Part of it, anyway. You who fear the Lord, praise Him, and all you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him. Stand in awe of Him, all you offspring of Israel. Remember, this is the psalm that starts out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 24, For He did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide His face from me, but heard when I cried to Him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear Him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. If your faith has fled, know that you can move forward in faithfulness. You can do with your life and with your body what today you might not be able to do with your head or your heart. And I promise you, if you will, the head and the heart will come back to you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If that is your cry today, know that later in the psalm, you will be able to say, He did not hide his face from me, but heard me when I cried to him. Let me say one last thing to you. I don't think you can get to that verse unless you're honest about the first verse. If you are not willing to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You might go on forever feeling that God has hidden his face from you. So are you ready to cry out to God again? Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time and you're not sure you can make it to 101. If you are ready to cry out to God, God is ready to hear you may your hearts live forever. Amen. I want to invite you to receive Holy Communion now. Artisan's Communion Table is open to all who are trusting in Jesus. It's a symbol of utter desolation and death. And when we receive it into our souls, it is the grace that saves us for one more day. It is the food, the bread from heaven that strengthens us for one more act of faithfulness. And you need it and I need it. And so I invite you to come. There will also be a member of our prayer team at the back of the room who would be happy to pray with you, particularly if you're crying out to God now and want to process that with somebody, please see the, the member of the prayer team at the back of the room. We're going to continue to sing as we take communion. I invite the band to come and I invite you to come and receive the body and blood of the Savior broken for you, shed for you in the forgiveness of sins. Come and receive the promise that rests on grace. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com